Who is Lady Alicent of House Hightower, really? Is she perhaps a bit like Cersei Lannister, or perhaps maybe more like Marjorie Tyrell? Is she more of a villain, scheming her way to be the queen? Or is she perhaps better thought of as a mother figure, fighting for her family amidst the carnage of the Game of Thrones in King's Landing? Should Alicent Hightower be remembered as one of the primary instigators of the Dance of the Dragons, Targaryen Civil War? Or did she in fact make several suggestions along the way which actually could have prevented the war? Well, here's the thing, you can read Fire and Blood and try to debate these questions, but the thing is, reading Fire and Blood doesn't actually tell you what definitely happened for much of anything. Because of course, Fire and Blood is written as if it's an unreliable history book compiled by the maesters of the Citadel. So an in-world history book of the Targaryen royal family. Now, the maesters of the Citadel, of course, have their own political biases, uh, very clear anti-Targaryen political biases. And of course, they're working many years after the fact and compiling from various sources. Thus, for each major event, we're actually given several different versions of what could have happened, including the salacious rumor-mongerings of the court fool, Mushroom. So this basically amounts to a complex game of choose-your-own-adventure, if you will, for Ryan Condal and Miguel Sapochnik, the House of the Dragon showrunners. For each major event, they have this little menu of possible realities to work with. They can decide which are the truths, which are the half-truths, and which are the damnable, damnable lies. They can decide how sympathetic or villainous they want to portray characters like Alicent and Otto Hightower, Viserys, Daemon, and Rhaenyra Targaryen, Corlys Velaryon, Kristen Cole, and all the rest. Because in general, and I'll just put this bluntly, when you read Fire and Blood, most of the main players in the dance come across as pretty bad people who make pretty bad and selfish decisions. They're the quintessential High Lords playing the Game of Thrones, which causes the people to suffer. But since Fire and Blood is written as unreliable history, it's actually an open question what truth House of the Dragon will choose to show us about these various High Lords and their deeds. And one of the characters I'm the most curious about in this regard is Lady Alicent of House Hightower, who of course marries King Viserys and becomes Queen Alicent. And most importantly, the mother of four dragon-riding Targaryen royal children. Now her father, Sir Otto Viserys' Hand of the King for many years, is very likely to come across as one of the more clear villains of the story, but his daughter Alicent may be another matter, at least at first. I mean, perhaps she's just an extension of her father's scheming, and certainly she is to some extent, but I've always wondered if she's maybe better understood as a character sort of caught in the middle of forces greater than herself, and perhaps a more sympathetic character than you may think. Now, maybe not, maybe not, I mean, throw your vegetables at me in the comments if you must, but... Before you rush to pass judgment on a 15-year-old girl, I do think we should pump the brakes a little bit and at least consider the possibility that there's something a little bit more complex and potentially sympathetic going on than just another scheming snake. And I think some of the other possibilities might make for a more interesting story. So click that like and subscribe button if I haven't triggered you too much already. And let's dive into what we know about Alicent of House Hightower and take a look at these forces that are swirling all around her. Oh, and a uh, slight trigger warning here, guys. Alicent is definitely placed in some potentially predatory sexual situations as a teen, which we'll be discussing tactfully, of course. So just a heads up, some slightly more serious uh, topic matter coming your way here. 
All right, so the first time we hear about Alicent in Fire and Blood is at the very end of the reign of Good King Jaehaerys. In 101 AC, after the death of Jaehaerys' son and heir, Balin the Spring Prince, who was also Hand of the King, it should be noted. The High Towers come to King's Landing, and this is from Fire and Blood. As his new hand, he called upon Sir Otto Hightower, younger brother to Lord Hightower of Old Town. Sir Otto brought his wife and children to court with him, and served King Jaehaerys faithfully for the years remaining to him. As the old king's strength and wits began to fail, he was oft confined to his bed. Sir Otto's precocious 15-year-old daughter, Alicent, became his constant companion, fetching his grace his meals, reading to him, helping him to bathe and dress himself. The old king sometimes mistook her for one of his daughters, calling her by their names. Near the end, he grew certain she was his daughter Sarah, returned to him from beyond the narrow sea. So in 101 AC, when the High Towers come to court, Alicent is actually only 13. 15 is how old she is in 103 AC, when Jaehaerys dies in his bed at the age of 69, while Alicent was reading to him from Septonbarth's Unnatural History. Now, Mushroom, ever the rumor monger, of course, suggests that, quote, Reading was not the only service that Lady Alicent performed for the old king in his bedchamber. And while this may be no more than vile calumny, of course, it is coming from Mushroom, the idea that Alicent was bathing and dressing the king definitely raises some eyebrows, right? I mean, doesn't he have servants to do that who aren't the beautiful, underage daughter of an ambitious high lord? And Jaehaerys died in bed with Alicent, you'll notice. I mean, maybe they were reading, uh, perhaps the Lovecraftian secrets of Septonbarth's unnatural history were just too horrifying for the old king. But we should also consider the slightly more far-fetched possibility that Jaehaerys may have died of a pleasure-induced heart attack, much like the legendary Sir Ossifer Plum, who supposedly died while consummating his marriage to Elena Targaryen. You may recall Tyrion making a joke about Ossifer having a six-foot member in A Dance with Dragons because he seemingly got a child on Elena from beyond the grave, from six feet under, if you will. Interesting to note, the child of Elena Targaryen and Ossifer Plum, who died of a pleasure-induced heart attack, was named Viserys Plum, just as Viserys Targaryen is the grandson and heir of Jaehaerys, who may have died of a pleasure-induced heart attack. So perhaps this is a kind of Easter egg clue from George to get us to connect Ossifer Plum and Jaehaerys, and think about them having a similar uh, means of death, if you will. Speaking of Easter eggs, and I'm sorry for bringing this up, uh, it's curious to note that George puts Jaehaerys' age at 69 when he dies in bed, uh, being read to. So maybe that's a kind of clue about what was actually going on. But honestly, it's hard to know how much stock to put in these rumors. Again, they come from Mushroom, and the fact that Jaehaerys was seemingly mistaking Alicent for one of his children is probably another point uh, in favor of there having not been sexual activity going on. But this is a good example of the sort of difficult political bind that Alicent finds herself in all through the story. She's essentially caught between two very powerful older men here. Her father, Sir Otto Hightower, Hand of the King, and King Jaehaerys Targaryen, uh, the king. And so if there was some kind of sexual activity that went on here, 
are we really supposed to put the blame on the 13 to 15 year old? Now, I don't want to remove Allison's agency, of course. I'm assuming she's intelligent and clever and probably a lot like a slightly younger Marjorie Tyrell at this point. But isn't it better to first ask whether Sir Otto might have instructed his daughter to ingratiate herself to the old king, and even to seduce him if possible? Or did Sir Otto simply place his young, fetching daughter in this situation hoping something might happen and maybe she'd end up pregnant with a potential heir to the throne. Perhaps Sir Otto thought that in that scenario, they'd be able to convince a now somewhat senile Jaehaerys to marry a now pregnant Alicent on his deathbed, making her child a potential heir to the throne. Because don't forget, Alisande died several years ago, so technically Jaehaerys is not married at this point. I mean, think about it. Can we really imagine that Sir Otto didn't have some sort of intent in placing his young and beautiful daughter so close to the old king? Even if Alicent was totally innocent and just thought she was comforting a lonely old king by reading him stories, imagine you're a parent in this situation. Are you really gonna let your teenage daughter become the king's chambermaid? Not unless you're hoping something happens, as I said, so it's safe to assume that Sir Otto was in fact attempting to use his daughter for political advantage. The only question is how on board with it or how cognizant of it Alicent was and how far it went. For all these reasons, I have to first point the finger of blame at Sir Otto here in basically any scenario, and you begin to see why I say that he's gonna be an obvious villain. And if you're really bent on seeing Alicent as a total snake, as a scheming, power-hungry manipulator right from the start, then you still have to ask yourself how a 13 to 15-year-old girl becomes that way, right? Isn't that still the fault of the parents? Who is it that taught her to see human beings as pawns? Or that it's okay to use them as you would a fork, or a knife, or a dragon-shaped mug? She could only have learned that from her parents and the other high towers of her family. So again, I can't really put that totally on young Alicent. However, I'd be very surprised if the show chose to make Alicent this unsympathetic right from the start. That would essentially render her a completely static character through the entire affair. Now, as to how much of this will be depicted on House of the Dragon, I think it's worth pointing out that in the book timeline, which of course may be altered for the show, Alicent is the reading companion of Jaehaerys for as much as a year to two years. And that's right when the High Towers come to court and Otto is first made Hand of the King. So Alicent and Jaehaerys' relationship actually is a pretty important factor in shaping the initial Targaryen high tower dynamic. Thus, it's something that should be either depicted or at least referred to somewhere on the show, probably at the beginning or perhaps later in flashback. So this may be one of the very first clues that we get about what kind of Alicent Hightower we're getting on House of the Dragon. So as I said, 103 AC brings the death of King Jaehaerys. Very sad, very sad. That last chapter of Septonbarth's unnatural history is just so exciting. Anyway, the High Towers are out, or are they? The amiable and easily influenced new king, Viserys I, is 26, and the very first decision he makes is to keep Sir Otto on as hand. So the High Towers are back in, and the second decision that Viserys makes is to promptly become an absentee king and leave Sir Otto to more or less run the realm. Just as Tywin Lannister ran the realm for King Aerys, and just as Jon Arryn ran the realm for King Robert. Gods, I was strong. Alicent eventually ends up marrying Viserys, of course, but first there's the small matter of, let me see, what does it say here? Oh, yes. 
Viserys already being married to Emma Aaron of the Vale. Unfortunately, and through absolutely no fault of the Maesters or anyone from Old Town, I mean, who would even suggest that? Emma Aaron suffers an untimely death only two years after Viserys takes the throne. Tragically, and perhaps suspiciously, she dies in childbirth, along with, quote, the son Viserys Targaryen had desired for so long. So this is a double tragedy, and definitely an event I'll be taking a look at in the Anti-Dragon Maester Conspiracy Part 2 video. But the point for right now is that Viserys ends up remarrying Alicent less than a year after Emma dies. Now, supposedly, Grand Maester Runciter and the other advisors of the small council urged Viserys to marry Lena Valerion, which would have had the political benefit of reconciling House Valerion to the crown. But Viserys, apparently, was of his own mind. And again, this is all the highly dubious uh, testimony of the Maesters. And instead, insisted that he would marry for love, which apparently meant marrying Lady Alicent of House Hightower, the clever and lovely 18-year-old daughter of the King's Hand, the girl who had read to King Jaehaerys as he lay dying. Ah yes, uh, marrying a Hightower and the daughter of the King's Hand, that's not a political choice at all, but uh, here we actually come to another mystery which will definitely shape our opinion of Alicent, and that is the question of, was there genuine love between Alicent and Viserys? And more importantly, were they honest with one another about their feelings and their motives. Now, it's obviously not inconceivable that the 26-year-old King Viserys, having just lost his wife and newborn son, might fall in love, or do a little bit of trauma bonding, if you want to say, with a beautiful, court-savvy, 18-year-old Alicent. The fact that she had been trusted by his grandfather, Jaehaerys, and her general proximity to the royal family for the last couple years may have made her feel familiar, safe, comforting, trustworthy, etc., to Viserys at a time when he was grieving and fairly alone in the world. And perhaps this was actually the long game that Sir Otto was playing by getting his daughter close to the old king. Perhaps she was meant to develop a familiarity or even a romantic relationship with Viserys in between reading and bathing uh, Jaehaerys. In fact, Fire and Blood suggests that very thing, telling us that there were those who murmured that the Hand had risen above himself, that he had brought his daughter to court with this in mind, and also that a few even cast doubt on Lady Alicent's virtue, suggesting she had welcomed King Viserys into her bed even before Queen Emma's death. So you kind of see what I'm saying here about the showrunners having quite the menu of possible realities to choose from, right? Perhaps Alicent is a cold manipulator, wrapping Viserys around her finger as a means of climbing the ladder of power. However, two other possibilities might be more interesting. One, perhaps she does care for Viserys. Maybe her and Viserys had a torrid love affair, going all the way back to when Viserys was still married. And perhaps the tension comes from her father trying to exploit her relationship for his own political goals. Or two, maybe Alicent doesn't love Viserys, but is being pushed into marrying him and pretending she does by her father, again, for his own political goals. I think that one of these two things is probably happening in this scene right here that we got in the trailer. We play an ugly game. You have the determination to win it. There's no question that Sir Otto is a cynical player of an ugly game who is trying to use his daughter as a pawn. But what is Alicent thinking and saying in the scene? That's the question. Is she more of a pawn at this point, or is she already turning into a queen, as she seems to do by the end of the story? After all, everyone dances on someone else's strings at first, 
But at what point does Alicent become a puppeteer in her own right? As she seems to by the end, or at least by the beginning of the war, when she's helping to orchestrate a high-tower coup. Bottom line, Alicent's relationship with Viserys will go a long way to deciding how sympathetic the audience finds her. And I can't help but think that, however it shakes out, we're going to find Alicent doing some sort of balancing act between the ambitions of her father, Sir Otto, and her relationship with King Viserys. All right, the next thing we'll take a look at here in terms of Alicent's actions in the run-up to the war is her relationship with Rhaenyra Targaryen and the formation of the rival Black and Green factions at court. At Alicent's wedding to Viserys in 106 AC, Rhaenyra is only nine, and in Fire and Blood it says that Princess Rhaenyra poured for her stepmother at the feast, and Queen Alicent kissed her and named her daughter. From the looks of the trailer shots that we've seen, show Rhaenyra may be a bit older at this time, but they're definitely playing up the idea of Alicent and Rhaenyra getting along well at first. And indeed, just for a quick second there, everything does seem pretty chill. It says that Viserys was a man of peace, and during these years, King's Landing was an endless round of feasts, balls, and tourneys, where mummers and singers heralded the birth of each new Targaryen princeling. Those would be Alicent's princelings, of course, Aegon in 107 AC, Helena in 109 AC, and Aemond in 110 AC. And as time passes and Rhaenyra gets a little older and probably a little more aware of the complex political mess that Viserys has created, tensions begin to escalate. The amity between her grace and her stepdaughter had proved short-lived, for both Rhaenyra and Alicent aspired to be the first lady of the realm. And though the queen had given the court not one, but two male heirs, Viserys had done nothing to change the order of succession. The princess of Dragonstone remained his acknowledged heir, with half the lords of Westeros sworn to defend her rights. Those who asked, what of the ruling of the Great Council of 101, found their words falling on deaf ears. The matter had been decided so far as King Viserys was concerned. It was not an issue his grace cared to revisit. Still, questions persisted, not the least from Queen Alicent herself. Loudest amongst her supporters was her father, Sir Otto Hightower, Hand of the King. Pushed too far on the matter, in 109 AC, Viserys stripped Sir Otto of his chain of office and named in his place the taciturn Lord of Harrenhal, Lionel Strong. This hand will not hector me, his grace proclaimed. Potential succession crisis? What potential succession crisis? We're all big feminists now. We swore the oath. So what if Alicent named our son Aegon? More cake, more wine. I kid, but uh, you can easily see that Viserys has created a very muddy picture here. Of course, we living today know that gender has nothing to do with leadership ability, so we're not blaming him for naming Rhaenyra his heir or keeping her his heir, but by remarrying and popping out an entire second family of rival claimants, whose mother comes from an entirely different house with their own ambitions, Viserys is of course creating the very succession crisis that started the war. And all of this puts Alicent, and everyone else, in a very awkward position, doesn't it? Of course she's going to support the interests of her own children, but Viserys has quite simply put both her and Rhaenyra in a difficult and frankly dangerous political position, where either one of them becomes a target for ambitious lords or archmaesters who would seek to use their claims to start a war. Fire and blood continues thusly. 
Even after Sir Otto had returned to Old Town, a queen's party still existed at court, a group of powerful lords friendly to Queen Alicent and supportive of the rights of her sons. Against them was pitted the party of the princess. King Viserys loved both his wife and daughter and hated conflict and contention. He strove all his days to keep the peace between his women and to please both with gifts and gold and honors. So long as he lived and ruled and kept the balance, the feasts and tourneys continued as before, and peace prevailed throughout the realm, though there were some sharp-eyed who observed the dragons of one party snapping and spitting flame at the dragons of the other party whenever they chanced to pass near each other. Look, if the dragons know that shit's gonna go down sometime soon, then the Dragon King should know too, right? Viserys, however, is more ostrich than dragon, with his head fully buried in the blissful sand of court grandeur. This rivalry between the princess and the queen eventually leads up to the famous tourney in 111 AC, held to commemorate the five-year anniversary of Viserys and Alicent's wedding, where Rhaenyra and Alicent wear the famous gowns that give new names to the factions. At the opening feast, the queen wore a green gown, whilst the princess dressed dramatically in Targaryen red and black. Note was taken, and thereafter it became the custom to refer to greens and blacks when talking of the queen's party and the party of the princess, respectively. So there you go, the greens and the blacks. Rhaenyra is 14 at this time, and two years later, when she turns 16, it suddenly occurs to everyone that who she marries is of prime political importance. Well, I'm sure it didn't just occur to everyone, of course. A bunch of schemers in King's Landing. But it seems the official decision and debate was made uh, in that year when she was 16. And that would be 113 AC. Now get your haterade ready, but here I must point out something in Allison's favor. Ooh, there goes a tomato. She actually did suggest the one choice for who Rhaenyra should marry that probably would have avoided the entire war. And you guys are just going to have to deal with that. Queen Allison had her own candidate. Her eldest son, Prince Aegon. Rhaenyra's half-brother, but Aegon was a boy, the princess ten years his elder. Moreover, the two half-siblings had never gotten on well. All the more reason to bind them together in marriage, the queen argued. Viserys did not agree. The boy is Alicent's own blood, he told Lord Strong. She wants him on the throne. So this is kind of an interesting event, right? Surely Alicent and House Hightower do stand to gain if Rhaenyra marries Aegon as this would make Aegon Rhaenyra's prince consort at the very least, with their children then sitting the throne, of course. However, it's also clearly the best political decision. I mean, although marrying Rhaenyra to Laenor does bring House Valarion back into favor with the crown, and that's important, the greater concern at this point should have been the potential succession crisis between Rhaenyra and Aegon. This was basically the one golden chance they had to clean up the mess that Viserys made by marrying Alicent and creating a whole new family in the first place. And apparently, Alicent was the one who realized this and pushed for this option. And by the way, Rhaenyra and Aegon not getting along well as young people, they're 6 and 16 at this point, doesn't really enter into it in this situation, as the politics of the realm clearly take precedence, and the stakes here were as high as they could possibly be. Thus, I judge Viserys to be the fool here, and judge Alicent's suggestion as the most sensible one. Instead, the King and Small Council agree on Laenor Velaryon, who of course had been passed over at the age of eight by the Great Council of 101 AC that chose Viserys to be king, but who was now 19 
and a dragon rider. And just to emphasize my point about it not really mattering that Rhaenyra and Aegon didn't get along, the council chooses Laenor, knowing full well that he prefers men to women, and just dismisses that as a trifling concern, because, of course, it's a political marriage. Now, at Rhaenyra and Laenor's wedding, some shit definitely goes down, cue the Cypress Hill, that definitely inflames tensions, and this is really the first time Alicent comes across as spiteful or mean. So, during the tourney held at the wedding, Sir Criston Cole, who used to be Rhaenyra's favorite, but who had had some kind of very mysterious and salacious falling out with Rhaenyra only days before, decides to go on a bit of a rampage. I'm not sure what else to call it. First, he breaks the bones of Harwin Breakbone Strong, now Broken Bones, who is Rhaenyra's boyfriend, essentially, her not-so-secret lover. And then he mortally wounds Sir Joffrey Lonmouth, who is Laenor's boyfriend, and not-so-secret lover, so definitely a targeted rampage. Now, King Viserys is furious, furious, at Kristen Cole's violence marring what was supposed to be a happy affair. Oh, please, please! This is supposed to be a happy occasion! Let's not bicker and argue about who killed who! However, Alicent actually honors Sir Kristen Cole by making him her sworn sword, so... Definitely a giant F.U. to Rhaenyra, and also a bit of an indictment on the strength of Viserys. I mean, Alicent is obviously undermining his anger, his very serious anger, by, by doing this, but she's, she doesn't really care. So Viserys is already kind of weak and just not a king that anyone is really intimidated by. So afterwards, Fire and Blood tells us that the coolness between the king's wife and the king's daughter was plain for all to see. Even envoys from the free cities made note of it in letters sent back to Pentos, Bravos, and Old Volantis. So over the years, Rhaenyra gives birth to what are almost certainly the children of Harwin Strong and not Laenor Velaryon, her husband. And Alicent is reported to have taunted Laenor with the words, Do keep trying. Sooner or late, you may get one who looks like you. So while this is definitely a mean girls type of thing to say, it's really just pointing the finger back to the mess that Viserys has created. In addition to siring an alternate choice family of potential dragon-riding heirs, he's now choosing to ignore the fairly obvious fact of Rhaenyra's children being probably illegitimate in the eyes of Westeros as bastards born out of wedlock, so to speak, if indeed they are Harwins. That would actually be high treason on Rhaenyra's part, as it turns out, precisely because she's the heir to the throne and her having children out of wedlock throws the succession into crisis, which can lead to a war. Ergo, these rumors further erode the legitimacy of Rhaenyra's claim in the eyes of many of the high lords of the realm, which is already controversial. And Viserys has to know this, but still he does nothing. A very good argument can certainly be made that, as difficult as it may have been, it would have been wise of Viserys to disinherit Rhaenyra on these grounds. I mean, choosing to simply remove the tongue or execute anyone who calls them bastards didn't exactly work out very well, did it? Now remember, if Viserys had acknowledged that Rhaenyra's children were illegitimate, he would have had to punish her severely, perhaps sending her into exile to avoid executing her. And it seems like he just couldn't stomach that, so... Once again, he chose simply to not see the unpleasant truths that he didn't want to face, even if it imperiled the safety of the realm. And that is why Viserys is a giant coward who's always the first one to blame for the Dance of the Dragons, besides the maesters. Alicent may be throwing barbs at Rhaenyra and Laenor, but 
They're pretty legit, to be honest. And once again, we have to observe that the wisest course of action would have been for Viserys to, sorry, side with Alicent, as he should have done when she urged Rhaenyra to be married to Aegon. Assuming that's what she did, of course, uh, unreliable history and all that. Finally, we come to the incident with Alicent's son, Aemond One-Eye, and the ostensibly Valarion, sons of Rhaenyra. This is in 120 AC on Driftmark at the funeral of Lena Valarion, which is a scene that we saw in the trailer, and this affair basically turns into a total mess. Aemond is 10 at this time, and the only one out of all the cousins who doesn't yet have a dragon. And so, Aemond gets the extremely bold notion to try to claim Vagar, who had only recently become riderless after Lena Valarion's death. He succeeds after sneaking into the stables in the middle of the night, but after landing, he's set upon by his Valarion slash strong cousins, who are younger but who outnumber Aemond three to one. During the fight, Lucerys Valarion, age five, drew a knife and slashed Aemond across the face, putting out one of his eyes and giving him the nickname of Aemond One-Eye. And in case you didn't know, Aemond actually puts a big fat blue star sapphire in his missing eye socket, so I guess that's what you do if you're Targaryen royalty. Aemond had apparently insulted the boys by calling them Strongs, which is an accusation of treason, as I mentioned, and both mothers were extremely pissed. Afterward, King Viserys tried to make a peace, requiring each of the boys to tender an apology to his rivals on the other side, but these courtesies did not appease their vengeful mothers. Queen Alicent demanded that one of Lucerys Valarion's eyes should be put out for the eye he had cost Aemond. Princess Rhaenyra would have none of that, but insisted that Prince Aemond should be questioned sharply until he revealed where he had heard her sons called Strongs. To so name them was tantamount to saying they were bastards, with no rights of succession, and that she herself was guilty of high treason. When pressed by the king, Prince Aemond said that it was his brother Aegon who had told him they were Strongs. And Prince Aegon said only, everyone knows, just look at them. So it must be said, neither of these vengeful mothers look very good here. I mean, one wants to put out the eye of a five-year-old boy, and the other wants to put a ten-year-old to sharp questioning, which means torture. Nice, that's, uh, that's real nice. Both Rhaenyra and Alicent remind us a lot of Cersei in the scene where she demands that Sansa's wolf, Lady, be killed in recompense for Arya's wolf, Nymeria, having bitten Joffrey's arm. Vengeful mothers aside, though, you see the political stakes involved here. The potential strong paternity of Rhaenyra's children has thrown the realm into further crisis, which, of course, sits on top of the potential succession crisis already created by the very existence of Alicent's children as rival claimants. And what is Alicent's part in all this? Well, she married the king and had children. And that's about it so far. Finally, we come to the death of King Viserys I Targaryen in 129 AC. That's right, it's another dead Targaryen king. And that means it's now time for the Hightower slash Team Green coup that sets off the war. Now, despite Viserys having been in declining health for several years, Mushroom suggests that Alicent might have, quote, hurried King Viserys on his way with a pinch of poison in his hippocras. Although the maesters note that Mushroom was on Dragonstone at the time with Rhaenyra and not at King's Landing with the Viserys and Alicent. Alicent definitely seems to play a Cersei-like role here, moving swiftly to seal the King's apartments and convene a Team Green treason council in her own apartments, where she and Sir Otto pushed for Aegon 
to be crowned by the small council instead of notifying the rightful heir, Rhaenyra, who was on Dragonstone at the time, and therefore would parallel Stannis being on Dragonstone at the time of the Lannister coup following Robert's death. And in case you didn't know, there are a bunch of little parallels like that between the story in Fire and Blood and the main story in A Song of Ice and Fire, but none of them are one-to-one. -one. They're all kind of scrambled about a bit. They're just sort of thematic and character-based archetypal parallels. And specifically, the goodness that is Cersei Lannister's character, those parallels are kind of spread out between Rhaenyra and Alicent. Anyway, back to the coup. So, Princess Rhaenyra had married Daemon Targaryen a few years earlier on Dragonstone, and during the coup plotting, Otto and Alicent argue that if Rhaenyra is crowned, it will actually be Daemon who rules the realm, who'll be a second Magor the Cruel, and Daemon will find a pretext for putting Alicent and her children to death. Sorry, it seems I lapsed into, uh what is apparently my Otto Hightower accent. Anyway, it's actually not totally crazy to suggest that Damon might do that, since it would have been politically savvy in a totally amoral sense of Damon to do that. Although, of course, you also have to consider the political fallout of Damon being perceived as a second Magor the Cruel, which is exactly what he would have become had he put all the Hightowers to death, obviously. Now, supposedly, and this is a big supposedly, the threat of such an action by Damon is what Kristen Cole used to persuade the reluctant Aegon, <laughs> reluctant Aegon, to accept the crown and the plan to essentially usurp Rhaenyra, his half-sister. And this, of course, is where Sir Kristen gets his nickname of Kingmaker. Now, we have no idea what the truth is here. We'll obviously see the coup play out on television, so we'll have to wait and see. But there can be no question, really, that Alicent is by this point, completely on board with the usurpation of Rhaenyra, which starts off the war, and that she's in fact helping to orchestrate the coup. Thus, you can see why I say that if the show were to portray her as merely interested in power from the start, merely a scheming snake, then there's not only a lack of any sort of character arc, but a lack of any sort of depth whatsoever. For example, take Cersei Lannister. She begins to be more complex as a character and not purely an antagonist, when we begin to learn the manner in which she was essentially forced to marry Robert against her wishes, and of the marital abuse that she suffered at Robert's hands. These facts cause us to pause for a moment and maybe place ourselves in the position of a young Cersei and wonder how we might have handled that situation. Even Lord Eddard Stark, good old Ned, finds some amount of understanding, if not sympathy, for the at times murderous ways in which Cersei tries to protect her children and their claim. And I'm definitely expecting Alicent to come across a little more sympathetic than Cersei, perhaps significantly so. We'll have to wait and see though, and you can bet that Alicent Hightower is a character that we are looking forward to learning the truth of in House of the Dragon. So thanks for watching everyone, and it may seem like I'm a little pro Alicent in this video, and I am kind of trolling you with this green shirt, but I really just wanted to do a bit of a thought experiment to explore some of the ways a character which mostly seems to be just another ambitious person who starts off the war could actually be written in a more sympathetic fashion because again i think that just makes for a more interesting story anyway i hope you enjoyed the video and if you want to support the program we've got links to paypal and a patreon campaign in the description below and it's also super cool if you leave a comment and Tell me what you thought. Get the discussion started. It could be you. And watch for more House of the Dragon videos on this very channel. See you next time, folks.